If you found uh, the notes there on the table, uh, we are going to pick up uh, our story here in Genesis 25 and dealing with uh, Jacob and Esau and uh, before we dive off into that, because I have a tendency to get all wound up in my message and forget some things. Uh, we're having our work day tomorrow uh, morning, guys uh, and gals, if you want to come. Uh, we'll get started around 8 o'clock. We've got some construction stuff to do uh, next door, a little bit of electrical. Um, hopefully that's going to be actually pretty simple. And then uh, working on some doors and a couple other things, and hopefully get the sign put back up uh, out front. So if you can come and kind of bring some appropriate tools, uh, no sledgehammers, you know, but uh, bring some appropriate tools and stuff, and, and we'll do that. And we're going to have maybe some breakfast burritos and stuff like that. So uh, would appreciate your help. All right, so <clears throat> we're going to pick up uh, this section in uh, Genesis 25, it's called Taldot, which is uh, generations. And once again, it's these sections get these names based on the first phrase in here uh, and what this section will really deal with. And it's going to deal mainly with the generations of Isaac and um, what uh, transpires. And everybody remembers basically in this section the stuff that Susan was sharing with us, the story about uh, Jacob or Yaakov. Uh, and his brother Esau. And uh, the one that's, <clears throat> that really does, I, I think, is really the forefront in our memory is uh, Jacob being called the heel grabber uh, and uh, Esau selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. Uh, and then this issue of uh, Jacob and his mother conspiring and, and lying to uh, Isaac, and he kind of steals the birthright, blah, blah, blah. And, and most people will say, well, <clears throat> uh, Abraham lied about his wife. Uh, Isaac is going to end up doing the same thing. And, uh, and so it's the sins of the father. You know, the father's going down to the third and the fourth generation and so on and so forth. And, uh, and so it's, uh, th that's where this is coming from. Well, once again, uh, when you just slow down <laughs> and you read your Bible and you read in context, uh, there's some things in here where you go, well, that's not really the whole story. Uh, and Susan's already brought up some of this, which was uh, excellent uh, that she did. Uh, but we're going to see some things in here that I think is critically important to understand uh, and how it is directly relative to our lives today as believers. So we've got to ask ourselves as we get started, <clears throat> are we typically acting more like Esau or Yaakov, uh, Jacob? I know we all know what the right answer is, right? We, we know, you know, the right answer is that we should be like Jacob, you know, uh, not like Esau who sold his birthright uh, for a bowl of soup. But if, you have to get into the details to kind of see what's really going on here. Uh, and once again, the only way to do that is you have to kind of backtrack. You have to kind of do some math. You kind of, like last week we were looking at, you know, where everybody was living. And you don't really realize how messed up Isaac uh, was uh, and Sarah and how much this sacrifice or almost sacrifice of Isaac 
how much that impacted their family uh, to the part to where they weren't even living together. And so um, Isaac is still, um, I, I think even though he is the one that the blessing is going through because God has chosen him, um, that event still has scarred Isaac and his perspective on everything. And we're going to see something here at the very beginning as to what God is doing. So let's read this first section here that I've got for you in notes. We'll pick up with verse uh, 19, and uh, we'll read down through verse 27. <clears throat> and once again, um, it's, the, it's, it's in these details that you have to pay attention. So starting with verse 19, he says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. You might want to underline that. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian of Pad, Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? She understands, like, uh, you know, part of the promise. You know, this is, what's, what in the world's going on here? <clears throat> um, and so uh, she went to inquire of Yahovah, of, of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, you might want to underline that. Um, <clears throat> I give you these notes for you to write on. If you're okay with writing in your Bible, uh, I would tell you you should do that. You might want to underline that or highlight that because Yahovah is now speaking to her. Uh, <clears throat> Isaac prays for her because she's barren. She's not having any kids. The Lord answers his prayer, but then she's finding out, I got a war going on within my belly between whatever's going on in here. Now, I'm a guy, so I have no idea what that feels like, ladies, those of you that have had kids. Um, I, I can't even imagine that. Uh, but to have two, and evidently they're wrestling within her. They're struggling already. They're not even out of the womb yet, and these two are struggling. <clears throat> And so she prays and asks God, what in the world is going on? If, if, the, if I'm supposed to be blessed and this is supposed to be an answer to prayer, man, I got a war going on in here. What's going on? So then he gives this prophecy to her about these children. Two nations are in your womb. You have to let that sink in for a second. There are two nations within your womb. Two peoples within you shall be divided. There's going to be two people groups come out of the boys she's about to find out that are in your womb. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. <clears throat> now, what I don't find in this story anywhere before I continue reading is God telling this to Isaac. 
He tells it to her. You remember what we talked about last week? Part of Isaac's problem was, and even Sarah's problem, was all this discussion and stuff was going on between God and Abraham. Maybe he didn't communicate well or whatever, but you can't, in other words, once again, you can't live on somebody else's faith. It's got to be yours. And Sarah and Isaac were watching this story going on with Abraham. They were key parts to this story. But God was really working through Abraham and then saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to create a nation that's going to be my nation out of you. And there's going to be one of your children, and it's going to be your child with Sarah. He's real specific. But this event with the sacrifice really devastates them. And has a great impact on them. <clears throat> then we talked about how Rebecca is going to be the wife of Isaac. And as a young girl, uh, she goes, I'm going to go and I'm going to marry this guy. And we talked about that last week about how uh, maybe the Lord even revealed this to her and, and all this other stuff. Anyhow, <clears throat> so they go back. So the interesting thing was that it's like she's filling in the gaps for Sarah. It's the same story, the same area. Now she is the one, instead of it being Isaac being the one that's really walking with God and hearing from God and doing all these things, now we're really seeing it's really Rebecca this time. Where before it was Abraham and then Sarah's kind of the side note. Now we're seeing where Rebecca is hearing from God and she is loving the promised child. Isaac is loving Esau and for the wrong reason. And what are the odds that Rebecca told Isaac what God told her? I think, he, I think she told him. Uh, why would she not tell him that? It's God revealing to her what is happening, and what's supposed to happen with these children. But let's look at this. In verse 24, it says, When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first one came out red. All his body was like a hairy cloak. Going to leave that one alone. <laughs> so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob or Yaakov. Now look at this. You might want to highlight this. This is where this adding this stuff up helps. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. He was how old when they married? 40. So she's been barren for 20 years. Now he's 60 when they're born. It says, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. <clears throat> There's a lot of play on words here. You get in the original language and stuff, but I'm going to leave that alone. But it really talks more about him being, he's more studious. And he's not an extrovert like his brother Esau. It says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. 
Esau was a hunter, and Isaac liked the food that Esau was killing. It filled his belly. It met his immediate need. And he did something, I guess you'd say manly, that Isaac liked. And it says that Isaac loved Esau, and he tells us why. Now, once again, we're going to read our Bible in context. So we need to remember something. Again, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses, directed by God to teach the people of Israel what happened even though a lot of these stories were handed down orally, they had that. Um, but he, he's writing this down so they'll know what's going on. And God told Moses specifically, this is what you're to write down out of all these details, that Isaac loved uh, Esau because he ate of his game. And then it just says, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, why would she love Jacob over Esau? It's real simple, right? Because she knows because the prophecy what was given to her that what? The younger is going to rule over the older. The older is going to be a servant, a servant to the younger. Uh, and that there's these two nations. One's going to be really great and very, very strong, <clears throat> which is going to be Esau. Um, and, uh, but the younger is going to rule over the older. So she knows that the one that came out last is the promised child. Um, I don't think, in other words, that she's just showing favorites because she likes one over the other just out of, for no reason. But why would she be that way and not Isaac? Once again, I think it's because God spoke to her about it and he didn't speak to Isaac about it. It's just different when someone's telling you their story, isn't it? Right? It's just different. You're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool, that's pretty cool. But when you know that you know that you know that God has spoken to you about something, that's something you'll go on the sword over, right? You're like, no, I, that, I know that happened. That changed my life. I'm not going back, right? <clears throat> she knows it. It's kind of like Mary, uh, you know, the mother of Yeshua. And we talk about, her, everybody talks about you know, how great faith she had and everything. She's walking around with a child that's in her womb, and she knows that she hasn't had sex with a man. But you want to know real faith? Joseph. Like, wow. An angel tells him this stuff, but he's like, <clears throat> okay. <laughs> she's pregnant. There's no changing the fact that she's pregnant. You can, and she's great with child not my child. Wow. Um, it's got to be your story for you to really own that. And this is <clears throat> Rebecca's story. And she loves Jacob because God has told her, look, this is going to be the child where this promise is going to come from. I've got it before I go too far. I've got something that you need to understand. 
So it, it said that Isaac was 40 when he took Rebekah as his wife, right? So how old was Sarah when she gave birth to Isaac? She was about 90 to 91 years old. Okay, somewhere in that frame time because God shows up, says, I'm coming back this next year. She was 90, so it only takes nine months. So she's 90 to 91 years old. We're also told that she was how old when she died? 127. Right? So that means that Isaac was 37 or so years old when Sarah died. But we're told here that Isaac took Rebekah as his wife when he was how old? 40. So that means there's been at least, what, three years since his mother died. That means that Isaac mourned for his mom how long? Three years. When you go back to what we were looking at last week and where everybody was living, what Isaac was doing, um, Sarah's buried up there in Hebron. um, And then it says that uh, Abram sends his servant to get her, get him a bride. Um, comes back and that Isaac takes Rebekah to be his wife, but he does that where? In his mother's tent. And it says, therefore, he was comforted over his mother's death. I just want you to pay attention to all this uh, because all this time frame stuff becomes important. Uh, So it took, he, he was mourning for his mother for three years. I'm bringing that out to let you understand, once again, how much this event of this almost sacrifice, where Abraham almost kills him on the altar, how much that impacted him and his relationship with his mom, and that evidently that event affected Sarah and Abraham to where they weren't living together, and that she dies, and according to the Jewish sages, they say that when she saw... Isaac, alive, that it was that stress that pretty much killed her. The whole thought that Abraham was going to go kill him after everything they've been through and that she couldn't see anything and all of a sudden Isaac shows up, the stress was just more than she could take. Um, and, And that is what has had this incredible impact on Isaac and why he's acting the way he's acting. That's what I wanted to get you to see. So turn the page with me. I've got a couple of notes here that I just cut and pasted for you just so that you'd have some info there. I'm not going to read through all that. But there's parallels between Abraham and Isaac uh, and and er everything that Abraham went through, pretty much Isaac is going to go through. Uh, Once again, we see in history things are cyclical. It starts off 
with one individual, then it goes to a nation, then it goes from the nation basically to the world, and that's what we're seeing today in the world that we're living in. So if you go down to the middle of page two, and you could just read that other stuff there. It's out of two commentaries that I had. Um, We get to Genesis 25, verse 29. And so it says... In verse 29, it says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name is called Edom. So Esau's name is changed to Edom because he ate and sold his birthright for this red stew, lent bean soup, basically, or a bean stew. And it was like a red bean stew. Um, and so his name is changed to Edom, where we end up with the what? Edomites. Okay. Jacob says to him, sell me your birthright now. Sell it to me. Esau said, I'm about to die. Question, was he really about to die? No, he's not going to die. He came back to camp for crying out loud. It's not like Jacob's out in the wilderness. He's back at the house. He could have gone to the next tent. He's back at camp where all these people and animals and all this stuff. He goes, I'm about to die. Then look what he says. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. He's saying, take an oath to me. He's asking for a legal contract. He's not going to let his brother off the hook. No, you have to remember something. They're what? Twins. Even though Esau came out of the womb first, technically he's firstborn, but they're twins. Their characters cannot be any more opposite from one another. Jacob is doing something, and it's very interesting what he's doing, but he's like, no, I want you to swear to me now because he knows how his brother is. And so it says, if you continue reading here, it says, so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate it and drank and rose and went his way. And it says, thus Esau despised his birthright. Who told Moses to say that? God told Moses, write this down. Therefore, Esau despised his birthright. Now, here's what's absolutely fascinating. Uh, so here Esau's name is changed to Edom, which sounds like a Hebrew word for red, because he sold his birthright for stew and despised his birthright. Here's what you need to, you have to start calculating some things. These two boys, Jacob and Esau, when Abraham dies, are about 15 years old. They know their grandfather, Abraham. Abraham lived to be 175 years old. 
these two boys, when you start calculating all this stuff, are 15 years old when Abraham dies. Now, this is according to the Jewish sages, but when you start looking at this story, you go, that's probably got some weight to it. Here's what they say. This lentil stew that Jacob is making, it's a meal that they would make for a family that's mourning a loss of a loved one. And they say that what he was doing was he was cooking this for his parents because Abraham, their grandfather, had just died. And where was Esau? He's out hunting. Okay? So... He's looking at Abraham who lived to be 175 years old, right? Um, but but <laughs> let me keep reading. I got some stuff here. I don't want to get off, off, off track. So Abraham was 175 years old when he died. Isaac is now what? Isaac is now 75. At this, Isaac is now 75. He was 40 when they married. 20 years pass. When they're born, he's 60. Now the boys are about 15. When you calculate this compared to when Abraham dies, they're 15 years old when he dies. So Isaac is 75 years old. His dad lived to be 175. Now, does Esau's comment maybe make a little more sense? That could be 100 years from now, dude. What's a birthright? Dad's 75. Granddad was 175. I got 100 years to wait. I might be dead and gone by then. I'm about to die. Y'all give me something to eat. Does that now make a little bit more sense when you start figuring out some of these ages and what's going on? Now, here's something else, and I put this passage down here so that you understand. <clears throat> we need to spend just a little bit of time talking about this, the birthright. So he's like, okay, so what, what is the deal? What's the deal with this birthright thing? I pulled this out of Deuteronomy. It's just one passage that deals with it, uh, 15 through 17. It says, if a man has two wives, the one loved and the other unloved, and both the loved and the unloved have borne him children, and if the firstborn son belongs to the unloved, then on the day when he assigns his possessions as an inheritance to his sons, he may not treat the son of the loved as the firstborn in preference to the son of the unloved who is the firstborn. He's saying like, when you, when doesn't matter. There's no preference here. Your firstborn is your firstborn. That one gets the birthright. And, look, and he says, but he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, look at this, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the first fruits of his strength. The right of the firstborn 
is his. This becomes a big deal throughout the people of Israel, on and on. We don't have time to chase that aspect. But here's what, hap- here's what would happen. You don't have a social security system. You're not living in America. You're living in, in, in the promised land. You know, this is 3,500 plus years ago. Uh, and you wanted a big family because you needed, and you also wanted a lot of sons because they would be strong, hopefully. Uh, they'd be able to take care of the animals in the field and all the stuff and take care of you when you were old. That was your retirement system. That was it. So the firstborn had the privilege and the responsibility to take care of the family and to take care of mom and dad. With that privilege also came that out of all of how the money was going to be divided up, that the firstborn would get a double portion compared to everybody else. He would get twice as much as everybody else as as it was divided up. Why? Well, because he also had the responsibility to take care of the family and to take care of mom and dad and that he was going to be the one in charge and therefore would what? Rule over his brothers. This is another reason, kind of getting ahead of myself, the whole Joseph and his 12, his 11 brothers have this problem because he has a dream and they're bowing down to him. They're like, you've lost your mind. So um, Esau was supposed to have that right and that responsibility. Jacob is the one that's showing some responsibility because it was in his character in the very beginning. Now Abraham's died. If this is happening when Abraham died, if he is actually making a a mourner's meal for his family, Esau's out hunting, doing his thing, and God said what? Because of this event, he despised his inheritance. He despised the birthright. Why? Now, I'm, I'm postulating here that he's going, it could be 100 years. <laughs> That's a long time, right? Um, well, <clears throat> so Jacob basically says, now I want you to swear to me and swear to me now that you're going to give me the birthright. And Esau goes, fine, I swear on an oath before God, it's yours. When, what he's describing here that Esau did was a legal transaction that now the birthright was going to go to Jacob. And watch this, and after all, they are twins, and there are historical documents of brothers doing that. In Israel's history. So this isn't something uh, that was totally unheard of. And that's why Jacob said, this is what I want you to do. Give me the right. And Esau's like, okay, you want to take care of mom and dad? You want to wait 100 years? You want to get, like you're going to get twice as much as me? Like, I don't care. It's 100 years from now. I'm hungry. Feed me. You following that? So that's what he did. If you jump down to chapter 26... 
This is in between uh, the story of Rebecca and Jacob lying about Esau. In chapter 26, it says, Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Don't know that it would be hard-pressed to say this is the same Abimelech that Abraham lied to, but now Isaac is lying to Abimelech. And some say that this word here, Abimelech, can be a term similar to the term Pharaoh. That there are a number of Abimelechs that you find. Anyways, so he goes to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him, appears to Isaac, and he says to him, don't go down to Egypt, but what? Dwell in the land of which I will tell you. It's the same things he's told to Abraham. Now he's telling it to Isaac, and it's the same issues going on. There's a famine. When we get real comfortable and God needs us to move, usually we don't go on our own. So he allows this famine. He's like, I know you're probably not going to want to go, but I'm just going to, I'm going to move you. <clears throat> so in verse 3, he says, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I'm going to establish this oath that I made. Remember we talked about that where he says, I am swearing this by myself that I'm going to do this. Powerful. And he goes in verse 4, he says, And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. When you see that, you might want to just pay attention. If you've read my book, <clears throat> Um, this is where he's trying to bring all these nations back. And he's going to do it through these people, Israel. And he's like, listen, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That's eventually going to happen with Yeshua, uh, but it's even going to happen physically here fairly soon. Um, and he says, all these nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Now look at this. And I highlighted this and then underlined it. Why? Because Abraham obeyed my voice, and he kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, or Torah. Okay, once again, because we have to read it in, who wrote this? Does that statement sound a little odd? What charge, what commandments, what statutes, what laws? It hadn't been written down yet when Abraham is living this way. <laughs> so what God is saying is, listen, I'm going to bless you because I'm remembering Abraham. This was Abraham's character. He obeyed my voice, my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. This was before the written Torah was written. It's interesting, isn't it? 
that that's what God is saying about Abraham. Then he births a nation and says, I want you to live by my rules so everybody will know that you're mine. Then Yeshua shows up and says, I'm not going to do away with it. Uh, I'm the fulfillment of all of it, but it doesn't mean it's negated in any way, form, or fashion. And then now we hear all the time that now we don't have to live by God's laws. Do you see the insanity in that? Now then, look at this. I'm going to just, we're going to, and the rest of this story is basically Jake, uh, uh, Isaac lying about his, sis, his wife again, and Abimelech is looking, and then he sees uh, Isaac uh, caressing his wife out in the field, and he goes, what? you said she was your sister. What in the world is wrong with you? And it, the same thing happened between Isaac and Abimelech and Abimelech and Abraham and Abraham and Pharaoh. It's the same story going over again. <clears throat> I'm bypassing that because I want us to focus today and tonight on Jacob and Esau and this incredible story here about Esau and his attitude. Verse 34, it says, When Esau was 40 years old, so now he's 40. Chances are the funeral thing happened around when he's 15. Now he's 40. It says, When Esau was 40, he took Judith, the, ta- the daughter of Bari, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Are you seeing a pattern here with Esau? He's totally oblivious of what's really going on, and he's just, once again, he's just satisfying his own desires. Uh, and really doesn't care who that is impacting. And it's literally, it says it made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. You go to chapter 27. Absolutely fascinating. In chapter 27, let me get it up here in my Bible. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here am I, or here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. I giggle because at this point, what you need to understand, you might want to write this down. When this is happening, Isaac is 130. You need to write down, because you don't have this in your notes, Genesis 35, verse 28. Just write down Genesis 35, 28. It says that the days of Isaac, how long he lived, was 180. He's not going to die for 50 more years. 50. 
50 more years. He's going to live for another 50 years. And he goes, hey, Esau, come on in here. I can't see real good. You know, I'm really old. And he was. I mean, he was 130. That's old, right? That's old. Any way you slice that, that's old. But he's going to live another 50 years. He goes, I need you to, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go out there. I need you to do these things, um, you know, because I don't know how long I'm going to live. And I want to, and so that I can bless you. <clears throat> he's now 130. Question. Is there any way in this family that Isaac doesn't know that Esau made a legal agreement with Jacob? There's no. If my brother made a legal agreement with me about our inheritance, and we don't see eye to eye. I'm going to dad. You, you wouldn't keep that a secret, right? I mean, we made this legal agreement. Hey, dad, this is what Esau did. And they changed his name to Edom, started calling him that. Everybody did because he sold his birthright for a mourner's meal because he didn't care about being responsible for his family. Jacob, the more quiet, studious one, I'm sure he had to have gone to dad and said, hey, this is what happened. <clears throat> but Isaac, because he loved Esau, because what? He just filled his belly and gave him food that he liked, and I don't know, maybe he... Maybe he liked Esau's kind of rebellious attitude because Isaac is still carrying some scars from that sacrifice. Our scars can go with us and have a, have a bad impact on us. Um, so <clears throat> when he says, I want to bless you before I die, who did that sound like? What was it that Esau said when he made the legal agreement? You need to give it to me because what? I'm about to die. Folks, do you think God put that in there by accident? That it happened by accident. Esau makes the legal agreement based on the fact that he's making a statement that he knows is not true. He's not going to die. Isaac doesn't know if he's going to die or not, but I'm sure he's not. He lived another 50 years. Um, maybe that's why there was this connection between Isaac and Esau. The characters were somewhat aligned. So um, this is where you get into the story of... <clears throat> Jacob, and everybody wants to say that he's the heel grabber, he's the usurper, he, he gets this nickname of being the heel grabber, uh, and that he usurps his brother by lying. Well, who's really being dishonest in this story? 
Isaac and Esau are the ones that are really being dishonest. Esau made a legal agreement. Yes, I'm speculating, but Isaac had to have known. You have to read in between it a little bit, but it just doesn't make sense that Jacob wouldn't have told his dad because it was going to affect the inheritance and who took care of the family and who was going to take care of Isaac and Rebekah. <laughs> you, you, would, you would make that known. So then you pick up in verse 27, it says, So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. So this is after he's, he's put on these hairy garments and stuff because obviously Isaac can't see. <clears throat> Um, and it says, see, I smell, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Then look what he says. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed is everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. So Isaac is pronouncing this prayer, this blessing over his son that is the same thing that God promised to, to Abraham, his father. And these words hold power. Don't think that your words don't have an impact. When you get to chapter, and of course, Jacob leaves. Esau comes in. Here's the food. You know, he finds out that Jacob uh, lied to his dad, and he got the blessing. <clears throat> Verse 6, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. So now, uh, what happens in between all this is that when Esau finds out about this, he hates his brother. Now he's plotting to kill him. And then he says, the days for mourning over my dad are coming soon. And so, but when that's over, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slaughter my brother. Of course, he doesn't realize that ain't going to happen for 50 years. Um, but he's planning to kill him because he hates him. What's that once again tell you about his character? He's going to murder his own brother because his, his brother got the best of him when he made a legal contract to sell his birthright, which he sold it. There's two separate things here, though. There's the birthright, and then there's the blessing. And the blessing is real. And you can't take it back. This is why the Scriptures, even in the New Testament, tells us to be careful about our words. We're speaking either blessings or cursings, and they don't come back. And whatever we're saying is literally initiating spiritual realities that have a physical impact. So Isaac comes in. I mean, Esau comes in. He starts saying, don't you have another blessing for me, Father? And he's like, no. And it literally says he's weeping with tears, begging him. There's got to be something. And he says, I've literally asked God to put the dew of heaven on your brother. 
And he, he praised this other blessing on him. And then look what it, and so then when they, when uh, Rebecca hears all this, and she's like, look, Jacob, you, can, you need to go. You got to go get a wife. She tells Isaac, he's like, yeah, he needs to go back up there where you came from. And we need to get, get him a, a bride from up there, from your relatives up there, not here, not from these women. And then this is when Esau realizes, okay, Jacob's gone because uh, they want him to get a wife from these other people. Verse 6, now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, uh, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padanaram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took a wife. Besides the wives that he had, Mahalahath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abram's son, the sister of Nebuah. He's trying to appease his parents by going to Ishmael and getting another wife. Esau is like Lot. He's more into assimilating than setting the standard. And he's selling his birthright and despising his birthright for what he can get now. And watch this. He's been now married, they say, for about 20 to 23 years to these other two women that have made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. And he's clueless. When did it say he realized it? Right here. When he sees that Isaac and Rebekah tell him, tell Jacob, you, you go over here to get a wife. You don't get a wife from these Canaanites and all the stuff that they do. And Jacob obeyed them. And that's when Esau goes, oh, oh, okay. I'll go over to Ishmael and I'll get me a wife. Maybe that'll make them happy. See his character there? It's, it's just so messed up. Um, he's selling his birthright, and he's totally clueless because what? He's only thinking about now. He's not thinking about the future. What was Rebecca looking at? Rebecca was looking at the promise, was looking at the future, was looking at what God said was going to happen, and, and was, was going that direction. And I think that she told Jacob that as he was growing up. I think that's also why Jacob was like, sell me your birthright now. He saw the moment and he saw the issue. The, the comparison couldn't have been any larger Granddad just died for crying out loud. You're out here once again worrying about yourself. You're sitting here telling me that you're going to die. Like you've been gone, what, eight hours and you're going to die? You know, and mom and dad's tent's right over there for crying out loud. 
It's just typical, right? So he's no, sell it to me and sell it to me now. Because he knows, because she, I think his mom told him. He's looking to the future. He's not looking now. He's not willing to sell off his birthright and what God promised him, even for the displeasure of, of dealing with his own brother. To kind of jump to the chase a little bit here for us. I'm wondering how many of us, though, too often, we don't think we are, but we're acting like Esau. God's given us a birthright, a heritage. Yet most of the time, all we can think about is today. All we can think about is filling our belly, meeting the needs of today, instead of trusting God, and watch this, and doing for today what impacts eternity. Most Christians don't do that. Most Christians don't even know that there's going to be all these rewards. Uh, we're going to be reigning and ruling with Christ and all these things and places in heaven, and, and they think it's wrong to plan for the future. It's like, that's crazy. Like, uh, well, then why did he tell us? <laughs> why, do, why do I want to aim at the basement? Why do I want to sell out glorifying my king for quick pleasures now that keeps me comfortable? Why not get right and real with the word of God and my king and live my life in a way that will glorify him looking towards the future? To me, that's the only thing that really makes sense, right? Instead of um, making excuses and doing things that the Bible says don't do, that God says don't do this. Makes me mad when you do this. Don't do this. <laughs> and we go, yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, we live under grace now. We can do whatever. God, you know, it's just, you know, we, we get this attitude. It's, this is as good as it gets. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It'll be all okay. No. <laughs> That's why he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and on and on and on. <clears throat> right? So just so that we understand how this is important to us. Well, there's a number of passages I've just got two here, really, uh, out of our New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 and 17, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. This is a warning. He says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Who does that sound like? He's, nothing's in your Bible by accident. A root of bitterness... It's going to cause trouble, and by it become what? Defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. This story and what he's saying here is connected to Esau and him being unholy, unset apart, common. It's just after his own wants even though he's a child of Abraham and Isaac. He's just not the one through the promise. Who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears."
This is going right back to this story and saying, look, he sought it and he sought the inheritance and he begged for it with tears. It was too late. And it wasn't that he was even really repenting. What he really wanted was he just wanted the money. He wanted the stuff and he wanted the blessings. That's what we tend to also forget. Not only is it the birthright and the money, but it was the blessings that Isaac spoke over Jacob, Yaakov. Because when he spoke that, that was the signing of the legal decree between Isaac and God being transferred to his son, Jacob. This is what you told me. Now I'm taking that and praying that blessing on this boy, this man, that that promise is going to go through him and not Esau. And that's exactly what happened. You go to Romans chapter 9. This is verses 4 through 26. I I need to read this whole thing so we can read it in context, and we'll talk about it and close this up tonight. It says, They are Israelites... And to them belong, look at this, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. From their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua, who is God over all, blessed and forever. Amen. He's like, this is what came through these Jewish people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And it's, or it could be even as despised. What shall we say then? Is there there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You're going to say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But who are you, old man, to answer back to God? (laughs) You don't mind if I put my own emphasis on there, do you? 
Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed He says in Hosea, those who are not My people, I will call My people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Now here's something else that everybody tends to overlook. This phrase down here, and he's giving us the reference, this is right out of Hosea. Hosea is calling the ten northern tribes these names. God said, Hosea, you're going to marry a prostitute because that's the way these 10 northern tribes are to me. And then you're going to, she's going to have children that aren't going to be your children. And you're going to name those children, not my people and no mercy. And that is why it says, and in the very place where it was said of them, you're not even my people. That was their name. That was the name of the children because they were symptomatic of the people of those 10 northern tribes. It says, right there, those same people are going to be called, you are the very sons of God. But he's making a distinction here because he's like, look, here's what everybody messes up on. They want to focus on genealogies and bloodlines and think that because you got this genealogy, you got this bloodline, you're going to get this, you're going to get that, da 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 Wrong. It's those that are of faith, whether you have Israelite blood in you or not doesn't matter. If you have faith, you're trusting in God, you're good to go. Yeshua is the Messiah that took all that away so that we could be grafted in. Amen? But at the same time, God is going to do something with the nation of Israel that He is now doing. That doesn't mean all of them are getting into the eternal kingdom of God. There is a difference. One is prophetic. The other is an eternal relationship. And this is what Paul is bringing out right here in Romans to help us understand. He's like, look, when all of this happened, it didn't mean that the Word of God failed with His people Israel. Do you find that interesting? Because that is replacement theology. The Jews killed Christ. God said, I'm done. I offered you the kingdom. Now I'm going to give it to this new entity called the church. And Paul is saying, no, um, that's not how it works. Um, God loves us and wants us in his kingdom. And whether you have Jewish blood or not is irrelevant as to getting into his kingdom. Two separate stories. And he points it out. He goes, let me give you an illustration. There were two boys, Jacob and Esau. 
They hadn't done anything wrong. But God goes, I'm going to send the blessing through one of them, not both of them, even though both of them are sons of Abraham and Isaac, their direct lineage from them. But you can also see the attitude of one and the attitude of the other, and that's the one I'm going to bless. It's got nothing to do with bloodlines. You following all that? So then there's a lot of us today that we go, okay, so I'm a child of the God. I'm a child of God. I've accepted Yeshua as my Savior. I'm a child of the King, and I have an inheritance and a birthright. Didn't have time to chase all those passages because there was enough here for us to get the flow of this story, which is critically critical and important to see what he's talking about. We claim that we have Yeshua, we have a birthright. He's the firstborn among many to do what? Get a double portion and what? Take care of the family. He went home to his father's house to prepare a place for us. list goes on and on and on of this correlation between Christ being the firstborn, the firstfruits, and him taking care of us and paving the way for our salvation and taking care of the family. It's really big. And so there's all of us brothers and sisters in Yeshua, but are we really taking care of our birthright or are we selling it for a pot of stew? I'm going to go ahead and tell you that in way, way, way too many Christian churches we're selling it for a pot of stew. even clueless about having a birthright. We claim to know Jesus, claim to know Yeshua, and there is so much debauchery and lies and deceit and evil going on in God's church. It's an absolute abomination. People claiming to be believers and praying blessings over abortion clinics. Ministers. The list goes on and on. And that's, that's just that. That doesn't even cover what's going on in the churches. One of the biggest prominent churches in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I won't name him, but he literally says we should unhitch from the Old Testament. It doesn't have any place in our lives. And Jesus unhitched us from the Old Testament. And he is coming underneath a lot of attacks now because it is supersessionism, replacement theology. It is heresy. And your Bible will not make any sense at all other than just a bunch of feel-good garbage with that attitude and that theology. You can't make heads or tails out of anything when that's all... Jesus came, he died on the cross, everything's now new. You can do whatever you want to do. And you, man, you can have secular music and weirdo dancing and all kinds of stuff going on in the church. God's going to be happy with that. Yeah, he's fine. We'll go pray over an abortion clinic, for crying out loud. And go on and on and on. We'll just go ahead and start ripping pages out of our Bible. If you ever wonder why, how our country got to this point, it started in God's house. We can't even figure it. 
This is a real hot button for me. We can't even figure out what human life is. What I don't understand is how anybody can call themselves a believer and vote for a Democratic Party that is pro-abortion. Apart from everything else, all politics, whatever all the other issues are, doesn't matter. I'm just going, uh, okay. Now here's, what's, here's what you got to wrap your brain around. 50% of voting Americans voted that way. 47%. Forty-seven percent. We can't, and that's just that. So if that's the, that's just what I'm trying to tell you is that's just a barometer, symptomatic. That if that's the case, I mean, we're ripping the Bible all to pieces, and we're chasing all these other little things, and don't understand that we're taking our birthright and literally selling it for a pot of porridge, and can't figure out why. We're not glorifying the king when we don't know what in the world we're talking about. And so as I'm studying all this, I'm going, oh my goodness, Lord, we think we're like Jacob, yet most of the time we're more like Esau. We want what feels good over what is good. We would rather have programs and parties and flash than just the raw Word of God. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, I'm, I was born and raised Baptist, you know. I, I tell everybody I got Baptist blood in me. I cradle roll up, you know, Southern Baptist. Now we're North American Baptist and everything. Pastor to a small Baptist church not far from here for a while. Tell, tell your, your typical people, hey, we're going to meet up at the church Wednesday night, whatever. What are we going to do? We're going to pray. What else are you going to do? We're we're just going to pray. Nobody. Nobody. We did it at this one place. And uh, a few people started showing up. We just started praying. I said, what, and I said, I'm, I'm not going to have any schedule. I'm not going to write anything down. We're just going to pray. Let the Holy Spirit pour out. And man, did he. We would just be, we'd say, okay, now we're just going to pray. We've got the pews, you know, with the pad. and I mean, it's old school, right? With the baptistry up here and the painting in the back. And it was old school Baptist, little Baptist church right here in the DFW area. I'm up on the front row kneeling. We're praying, you know. You hear people praying. The building started filling up week after week. And you'd hear crying and wailing going on. Nothing preached. I said, well, if there's time to teach, we'll teach when we get through. We started having to get more Kleenexes. We're putting them on the pews and stuff. And then somebody came up to me, one of the deacons, and he goes, you know, Pastor, all this praying's good and everything, but. But, you know, we pay you to teach and everything. We need you to teach. I said, well, hmm, okay. I said, well, every week I come prepared to teach if there's time to teach. 
and so far for the last couple of months. Hadn't been nothing but people getting right with God. We got almost as many people coming on a Wednesday night. We do Sunday morning. I think we're hitting a home run. The spirit got turned off that night. It never turned back. Never turned back. Um, that's just common. In most cases, when you <clears throat> tell people, hey, we're going to come together, we're just going to preach, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're just going to study, or we're, we're just going to get into the Word of God, and we're going to talk about it and wrestle with it, and nobody in here is perfect, right? Anybody in here perfect? You got it all figured out? Zach, you got it all figured out yet? <laughs> uh, well, they're still young enough. They, they are. I'm telling you, I really do. I think God's going to use the children to be the 144,000. I really do. Uh, they're not as messed up as I am. Um, none of us are in here are, are perfect. Um, but all too often, that's not what we're really desiring is to just get into the Word of God and, and work it out together and, and struggle together and say, you know, this is what's going on. This is what I'm doing. We get too judgmental, right? You know, because uh, we believe, you know, we should observe the Sabbath. What if everybody's not doing it right? Whatever, whatever that really is, right? Uh, but how about if we felt free enough, we go, you know, I, I really do believe it's legit, but this is, this is what I'm running into. And we could all go, well, you're not alone. I mean, we're all doing the best we can, and we're not in the land, and temple's not there, and this whole country doesn't work on that system. This whole country works on the fact that they think that Sunday's the Sabbath. You tell Christians that, the eyes bug out. And they're like, we, yeah, it's Sunday. It's, that's the Lord's day. <laughs> no. Um, uh, you don't even have to take my word for it. Go Google it. I mean, you know, um, and so it, it's hard, right? But my question is, I mean, um, we should want that. And this is what I really do appreciate about this fellowship. I really do. I'm not, I'm not down on us. I'm just talking about what's out there typically. And uh, it's very frustrating. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Um, and so I'm, I'm very grateful for you guys. And I just want to make sure that we're not like Esau, that we really are trying to be like Jacob, Yaakov, and his name gets changed. Esau's name gets changed to red, Edom. Edomites. Jacob, Yaakov, his name gets changed to Israel, the one who strived with Elohim. Israel, which becomes the nation of Israel, which has the 12 brothers, which ends up bringing the Messiah, which ends up getting us crafted in. Hallelujah. Incredible. Uh, I want to be more like Jacob, Israel, thinking about eternity and making decisions today based on that. After we're saved. That's the weird part. You start talking like this to Christians and they go, so you're a legalist then. You're trying to earn something from God. I'm like, <laughs> no. 
I'm trying to glorify my king and do what he said to honor him. And I'm thinking about his kingdom and working in his kingdom. Uh, To me, that's the only thing that makes sense. So I just want to be more like Jacob and not like Esau. Amen?